time heard in a long, 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 long time. But he's got a sermonette for us today that says, learning to grow into a new creature. That's powerful. Start Williams. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. I really appreciated Matt's, Matt's announcement because uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I know I suffered through many, many decades ago was not having that available. And as a result of a certain promotion that I got starting a new department all for myself, uh, by myself and not having really good understanding of human relations. I went to the local community college and took psychology 101, understanding human behavior, which while my motive was to learn about people so I could manage my department better, I learned an awful lot about myself. So I found that psychology uh, to be very, very worthwhile. and. Um, a big part of becoming a new creature in Christ is learning. And a good part of that is learning about yourself. And I want to go through that today, and I hope I don't belabor one particular point, and I'll get to that, and I'll highlight it. And I want to connect back to my last message, and I mentioned then that there was an acquaintance of mine who had tattooed on her forearm God's work to remind herself that she is an ongoing process of God's work, and she's a work in process. And I concluded with some instructions from Jesus where he says, judge not, that you be not judged, and condemn not, that you be not condemned. Because in doing this, we are in concert with his purpose. Because Jesus says um, in John 12, 47, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. So if we are focused on being in concert with his purpose, then we need to be growing and becoming like Jesus. In John 3.16, we know from the beginning God's purpose was uh, to, to, for God. So let me just read it through John 3.16. For John, God so loved the word so much that he gave his, his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. But this is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And Jesus goes on to explain that a little bit more when he talks about the love that we are to give back to him. In John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And continuing in verse 23, Jesus, said, and Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And he goes further into giving some very specific details and instructions. And one of them has, in times past, been a bit misunderstood. I shouldn't say misunderstood, misapplied, both in society and in the religious field. And that's Matthew 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
that wasn't the scripture I thought I was going to. Anyway, we'll go with, we'll go with it. But uh, that's the crux of what I want to talk about today because that becomes, as I think we'll see, the hub for all of our activities. No matter what the activity is, it is all summed up in your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And in Matthew 5.48, he tells us that we're to become perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. So we can see from these scriptures why we should not judge or condemn, and we're to strive for perfection and be in harmony with his purpose. I want to go through the elements for loving Christ, which he gave to us. And the first is the heart. The heart is the center of emotions, and it's also the center for emotional decision-making. Sometimes we don't even realize when we make an emotional-based decision, but they're there, and lots of times um, they're not very well thought out. Those that study such things between the heart and the mind tell us that when there's a conflict between the heart and the mind. The mind is usually right. The next thing Jesus mentioned is the soul. The soul is the essence of your identity, who and what you are, including all the human attributes with all the varying degrees. Very complex, very complex uh, situation. Yeah, we, just between the heart and the soul. As an example of these attributes that I'm referring to, there's sympathy. Sympathy is the understanding of what another person is feeling, but it's from your own perspective, as opposed to empathy. Empathy, that's placing yourself into the other person's shoes and understanding why they have that particular feeling and you feel what they feel, and it might be because you have experienced the same situation. And then the next one I want to mention is compassion. Compassion. Compassion is the willingness to relieve the suffering of another. And therein becomes a very, very complex situation because the person that needs to have the suffering relieved must be cooperative. And times they are, sometimes they are not. They're unwilling or unable to take of the help that is available. And if you're helping them on an individual basis, you end up supporting them at that level that they're at. And they never go any further and they may degrade and even go back, and they look to you to sustain that level. The mind, center of intellect, knowledge, memory, analytical decision-making. Also, all three of the above that we've mentioned so far are influenced by the Holy Spirit and influenced by God, influenced by Him directing your path and aiding your growth and the strength, the amount of effort one has or is willing to put or is able to apply into their life. 
as the scripture says, we have not resisted sin unto blood as yet. These are all of these characteristics are huge. The heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. How does one come to love Jesus when one cannot love themselves? Instead of love for themselves, they often substitute feel-good solutions, temporary, transitional pleasures that alter nothing, but just facilitate getting through another day. And in all the temporary solutions, they sustain their current situation and can generate even more difficulties. There are many paths by which a person reaches this destination. Some of them are because of their own unwise decisions. Others are by chance, and still others are by circumstances that are a lot bigger than they are. If you find yourself distressed, depressed, not where your heart, soul, mind, and strength should be. What repair service do you go to to fix a broken heart? Where do you get the replacement parts? What do you do when you find yourself on the lonely side of love? What service do you go to to fix the holes in your soul that was created when your partner is no longer available for you? How do you navigate down the path of life when the holes aren't in the path ahead, but they are inside of you? How do you use your mind for good decisions when your central processing unit has been corrupted by malignant code and you don't even know it? Code placed there perhaps by unknowing or uncaring parents perhaps an inadequate academic system that we're, we're led to trust in, perhaps employers who struggle with the very same problems that their employees have, perhaps by corrupt corporate management empowered by greed and control without any regard to those that they hurt or for those that get in their way. The blueprints that are associated with these are so severe and painful. They can sap all the strength that a person has, and the only escape is sleep. And the next step after sleep, of course, is a little bit more permanent than just eight hours. There's a, a concept that was very popular some years ago, oh, well, that's interesting. Guess I'll have to wing it on this. Page three is missing. Um, there are management companies out there, and and that. have a purpose of trying to make you feel good about yourself. 
and they used the concept that is the power of positive thinking. It was a book that was very popular. It was written in 1952 by a guy by the name of Norman Vincent Peale. It became very popular and it had a lot of good information in it if it's properly applied. Unfortunately, it's not always properly applied. To use a, now uh, before I get to that, I attended a management seminar out in Denver in 1975 or thereabouts. And it was all about this. It was about sales, marketing. It was all about the power of positive thinking and uh, presenting yourself in a positive way and, so th and all of this. And <clears throat> I got a little sarcastic with it because I felt it was inadequate because I sat there thinking to myself, Okay, I'm going to think really positive about being a point guard in the National Basketball Association. When's the last time you saw a five foot four inch point guard in an NBA? In the next hundred years, there will only be 25 people that will be president of the United States of America. You want to tell me how all my positive thinking will get me there? And they, at this management company, they went through, and the whole thing that clicked in my memory on this was Sean Witt's video that he presented a couple weeks ago when the gal, she, she was running the 600 meter, and about halfway through she fell down. And she came back and she won it by 0 .04 seconds over the person that had been leading all the way. Tremendous, just a tremendous comeback and effort and determination. A great display of spiritual qualities that we need to seek to perfect our love of Jesus Christ and to please him and to be a winner for him. It brought me back to 1975 with this company because this company did the same thing. They used an example of a gal that won the Olympics back in, I don't remember if it was the 50s or late 40s. And she did the same type of thing coming back from way back in the pack and she won the event. And they attributed this to the power of positive thinking. And that's where I take an exception to this and I want to illustrate what I'm talking about because there's a lot more behind the scenes in these stories of the runners. There's a training program for runners and this relates to our training program that we're in for Jesus. There's a training program for runners and it varies based upon the length of the run and the trainers involved. For the 600 meter the practices include with some of the trainers a 100 meter run a 200 meter run, and a 300 meter run before you ever even run the 600. And of particular interest is the time for the 300 meter. 
And by comparing the 300 meter time to the world record, you determine what you must do in the last 300 meters to beat the world's record and probably win the event. So you know what you must do. You can then and run the trial run on the 600 and see where you're at. And then you know exactly and specifically what needs to be done. The training that you do is aerobic, that is cardiovascular conditioning to get oxygen into your blood. The second training is anaerobic, which is muscle building for strength and endurance. Now today, as in the 600 meter on the video that Sean showed, tracks post the elapsed time during the race in visual sight of the runners so they know their current times. The runner, having knowledge of what their time is on the last leg of the 300 meters, knowing what the current time is, have a gauge on their capability. It's not just, oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think. They have some knowledge as to whether they can or whether it's way out of sight. They already have it up here. It still involves heart and soul. It still involves placing the effort. But it's not simply achieving because I think I can. It's a learning process. It's a training process. It is applying yourself so you can do better. An analogy back to the training that we are in for Jesus. There was unfortunately a time in, in my experience with religion where there were, I would just define it as men of the cloth took some of these same principles And when addressing people with certain problems, they would simply say, well, all things work together to good for God. So don't worry about it. Bear it, go with it, and it'll all work out just fine. If you're in a situation that is serious, abusive, perhaps in a situation but you don't know which way is up emotionally. You have a hole in your soul, and the person that used to fill that hole is gone. Saying to somebody, all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, doesn't help you out of your situation. It takes action and it takes learning because he wants you to learn. He wants you to learn what life is about. He wants you to learn what you are about. It all goes to his purpose in this world. It goes to training us how to live life, both in the future and now. And it goes to training for whatever role you will have in the kingdom in the future. I want to go through some examples. The very first one is Cain and Abel. You know? Boy, that's... Abel is the one that 
obeyed God. He's the one that got killed. The focus of whose vision is determining good is important here. If you and I look at it from a human standpoint, what was the good of Abel being killed? And then we can look at Lot's Lot losing his wife instantaneously when he is obeying God, leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. And instantaneously, your wife is gone. How would you like to go home tonight and find out your wife is dead? Or your husband's dead? Or your children are dead? Tremendous. Job. Job's a really interesting book. I mean, because we come in, how would you like it? I'm going to use Ken Barton's name for a minute here, but how, how would you like it if Ken Barton and I we got off to the side, we made a bet that if we leave the air out of the tires of Ron Griffith's car, how will he handle it when he goes out there this afternoon? And we place a $100 bet between us. I say he'll call a tow truck. Ken says he'll uh, jack it up and change the tires himself. Because when you read the early chapters in Job, it's almost like that. Satan's going around the earth. He comes up to God. God says, what have you been doing? Have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, he'll, he'll curse you to your face if I, if I poke him in the right places. And God says, all right, go ahead. We'll see what he does. But what we don't know, what had already been done before chapter 1 in the book of Job, what effort had been put to Job to give him the opportunity so he didn't have to suffer all the things that are in the rest of the book. Maybe he didn't have the humility to be sensitive to some of the nudges that God gave him, saying, hey, you got a too high of an opinion of yourself. You got to come down a few notches. We have to be sensitive to his guidance. And sometimes it's somewhat subtle, and we get too involved with what we're doing. I had a case just a few weeks ago where I hadn't even mentioned to anybody something, and three different people in a matter of five days mentioned the same thing to me, and they didn't even know it was on my mind. And they gave me advice on what to do and how to do it. So I'm thinking, maybe I ought to do it, you know? And so we learn, but guess what? He learns also. If scripture says that Jesus learned by the things that he suffered. Sometimes Christians think we're not supposed to suffer. I'm, I'm God. What am I doing suffering? You hear people get very, very upset and some of them even turn their back on religion because of it. Because they, they think that they shouldn't suffer. We learn about ourselves he learns about us. We learn about him. And we learn about situations that are bigger than ourselves. One of the more significant examples in the New Testament, of course, is Lazarus when he was resurrected by Christ. And Jesus saw the sorrow that they had. And of course, a really powerful example is Paul. Look at all the things that he went through and maintains a positive attitude. But it's not just 
the power of positive thinking. He's learning. He's following instructions. He's got, he is on a mission. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And we are experiencing becoming a new creature. Part of the old things, part of, part of the difficult part, is discovering what is the old and getting rid of it. Sometimes we don't want to get rid of it. We want to hang on to it. Sometimes we don't know that we should get rid of it. And when we get rid of it, sometimes we have to replace it with something else. Sometimes that's hard. You take the man that's married to a very loving, beautiful woman, and she fills the holes in his life. She fills the holes in his soul. And she's taken away. The holes are now back. How do you fill those holes? You may find another person can't do it because that person was so unique. And so you have to adjust and try different things. And I can talk about experience on broken hearts on this matter. It was year four before I felt that I had recovered. And for three years, I was going through grasping at straws, trying to figure out how to get back right. And there was no other person that I ever dated or went with or hoped would fill the bill, to fill that need inside of me. It's real, very real. It can rule your heart and your emotions. It will rob your strength, keep you awake at night. Your friends will say, gee, what happened to him? He's different. Your employer might say, well, gee, he used to be a really good guy. He's not doing the same quality work anymore. It's all part of growing. It's all part of becoming what Jesus wants us to be. Because in retrospect, I could make the case and say, well, you know, as wonderful as this gal was to me, filling the holes in my soul, I was using her as a crutch. Because the holes were still there. When she was gone, the holes were still there. They were not part of the internal being of who Art Williams is.
I actually don't know for sure whatever happened to those holes. I don't know if they got filled up, if they eroded, or somehow I adjusted and adapted and learned. And I suspect that is the answer. Adjustment, learning, praying. You always pray to him. You know, one of the things that happens with Christians, they go through a trial or a test and they think right away. And I, I got a little frustrated with this. Cause I read an article and the guy's talking about a person that's broken hearted. And the next paragraph he says, the person is broken and lost. Wait a minute. There's a big difference between having a broken heart and being totally broken and lost to Christ. Big difference. Now what I don't know is maybe the person was broken totally. He did not define it. He did not clarify that. He jumped to an extreme. I didn't find that very helpful. I didn't like it because he should have explained what he meant. But there are people, as I mentioned earlier, that once they get challenged and something negative happens, they turn their back because they believe it shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen if Jesus is my life. He's God. Why did he leave that happen to me? That kind of an attitude. All learning and growing. And there's plenty of negative things to happen to a lot of really great people in the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 10, it, coming into the middle of the thought, it says, Day and night, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. This is Paul talking to his, 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 his congregation in Thessalonica. And might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That's why he wanted to go there, to help bring them to perfection. In verse 12, continuing in verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You know, it's really great to get up in the morning and realize you have the opportunity this day to help God and Jesus Christ make the new you. And lots of times you don't have to pick up the hammer to nail the board in place. You just have to not do the things that will impede him. That's why the Bible says, don't, 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 don't. Because when, when you're doing don't, 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 you're facilitating him. And it's really great to know, I don't have to become a psychological expert to repair my heart, my soul, and I don't have to be a, a, a guru of mental gymnastics to improve my mind and, and maybe... The strength is, is something I can work on. But you know, he, he'll take care of that too. He'll take care of that too. Because a lot, a lot of that strength has to do with our perspective and our willingness and our ability. But Jesus is about constructing the new you. And if we avoid the pitfalls that impede the new construction, 
We're going to be growing in love of Jesus in heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not believing in simply the power of positive thinking, but learning the process, the educational, the sequence that you go through so you can understand it. But we still need to be positive about it, as the scriptures tell us. Even when you're in tribulation, rejoice. Because you know that even in a tribulation, he's modifying you. He's working on you. He's putting new windows in so you can see better. He's putting a second story in so you can see farther. And so... It's a key element, the heart, soul, and mind and strength. I like to look at it as being the hub, the hub of everything you do. The world is different. You see, the world, the world goes to the outside, and what happens on the outside, that builds or interferes with the person's self-esteem. We're not talking about that. We're talking building from the inside out. So with that, I'd like to just encourage you to be active in doing your part to help God construct you into that new being. And as the Spirit leads you down any path and the, and the events that you encounter and deal with, realize that He's with you and there will be ultimately a good outcome 